0: welcome this is according to callus this is episode 239 and today we're going to talk about exploitation yes our government our um, collective that runs our country has been and probably always will exploit the differences among us that's right Divide and conquer, separate and command. It's all the same thing. Now, Tuesday I talked about Texas. I think Texas is probably the last ditch effort to salvage our country. And by our country, I mean the Republic of Texas. Uh, Aside from that, I talked about Christian nationalism or the nationalism in churches. Now, I hear... And see all these narratives of caricatures of this, but I really actually never see what the accusation is uh, portrayed to be in reality. Now, are there some elements that I would even admit could be concerning? Yeah, sure. Maybe. But most of the time I hear this stuff and my initial response is, ah, shut up. I mean, give me something real. If you're worried about a bunch of Christians that actually love their country getting excited and and interested and motivated, yeah, really, I think the problem might be you. Now, are there a little Trumpistas that are a little crazy and maybe a little over the top? Yeah, sure. But how are they any different than all the people that were crazy for Obama or the Biden bots? Or if you want to go further back, I mean, I'm sure there was a bunch of crazies that were gaga for Kennedy, or there's still a whole slew of people that think Roosevelt was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and don't even get me started on those Lincoln files. Look, the president is supposed to be just the man. The president shouldn't be involved, or involved, or yeah, involved in our lives. It would be nice if I could go home at night and not even know who the president is, because quite frankly, he's irrelevant to my life. But unfortunately, that's not what the case is today, nor has it been for most of my life. And I've been around officially 50 plus years at this point. And I can tell you, aside from the time when I was in grade school and Jimmy Carter came to the McKin- McKinney—I'm <laughs> Milwaukee Area Technical College, which was approximately a half mile from my house, I don't think I've ever been close to the president or the nominee. And by that, I mean physical proximity. So I should not really care nor be bothered on who a president is at any given time. If we go all the way back to the time of my birth, we would have had Nixon, followed by Carter, followed by Reagan, followed by George H.W., and then Bill, yes, I did not, have, never mind, Clinton, and then George W., followed by Obama Nation, I mean Obama, and then we got a little Trump thrown in there, and the current guy, who is essentially the Obama third term I would like to be able to go home and not actually know who these people were and not have to give one wit or thought of who these people were and why it matters unfortunately because we have a congress that refuses to do their job we know and they have assumed and assumed powers that they nominally act as kings and kings thrive when their people, their peasants, their subjects are divided because then their subjects are more worried about what they're doing than what the king is doing. Now, go along with me here for just a moment. I would imagine there are a whole lot of us that are right of center that are not excited about progressives, that are not excited about CRT and all the other alphabet stuff that these people prattle on about and try and make the most important thing ever. But if you actually talk to, I would say, a majority of people left of center, that majority really isn't buying most of this stuff either. They know they're on their team. They know they're nominally supportive of or at least sympathetic to those issues. But they really know that you're their enemy. They really know that the opposition is the big problem so we we tolerate and go along with these people that are on our team that are a little uh, somebody we're not comfortable with because we really know you're the bigger threat the bigger enemy likewise our team right right of center all we hear about are these wackadoos that are you know wanting to dance half naked in front of children and of course we have the correct biological and emotional response of what you would want to do to that individual if they were to do that to your daughter your son your granddaughter your grandson but most of us have enough self-restraint to not actually do that so we show up at school board meetings we show up at city council meetings we try and defend our rights and say why are you doing this to our children meanwhile we miss the whole point where we're sending our children to government programming For 12 years, and we say very little about that. Oh, we might run some candidates for office. Oh, we might protest about certain issues. But at the end of the day, we have surrendered our children willingly to the government to program them for 12 years before unleashing them to perhaps another four years of more government programming. And we wonder why they come home acting like Romans. If you don't get that reference, Paul or Vodi Bakum could perhaps explain it to you. But if we take a step back, we separate the emotional response and we look at our neighbors and we, and we look at the people that generally oppose us or not us, but oppose our values, our issues, our beliefs. We're really probably not that far off from each other. We we see the same problems, right? We acknowledge there's a problem, but we have different solutions. And if we were to sit down by someone, someone that's, say, left of center by 30 percentage points instead of a full-on communist at 100 percentage points, Keeping in mind, well over half of those people that are left to center probably fall in that first 30% of uh, deviation from center. If we were to sit down and talk to them, we would have a conversation that goes like, Yeah, we agree that poverty is not a good thing. We agree that our children are not well educated. We agree that this is less than stellar. We agree to this. And then we'd say, Well, we believe that we can solve this through a freer market. We believe we could solve this with less government regulation. We believe we could do this. We believe we could do that. And they're saying back to you, well, we think that if government was a little bit better run, or we, if government was a little bit uh, more restrictive on this specific portion of this, or or had better guidelines, or or we believe if you know if the cities were more involved in this, so they we're coming from two different views, right? One says government's the problem. The other one says, well, if we could fix government, we could fix the problem. What I'm going to suggest to you is both sides need to holster their guns metaphorically, sit down, have a dinner and say, okay, we agree that these six, 10, 20 items, these are all problems. We agree they're problems. Let's talk about real solutions. Let's talk about Okay, we know that in Chicago, for instance, they have the tightest gun laws in the country. Yet, if you look at the gun deaths or the shooting deaths more appropriately, Chicago is one of the highest per capita areas for this. Okay, so we're going to set that aside for a minute. Then we're going to say, well, we agree that methamphetamine is a big problem. We agree that it's already illegal and it's enforced rather stringently in many areas. But if you go to, I don't know, certain parts of East Texas or perhaps other semi rural areas or maybe even in the downtown city, you'll find there are large portions of people that are addicted. If not to meth, take your other drug of choice. And we believe that locking them up is going to solve the problem. And the other side says, well, yes, we like locking them up, but we think they should be treated as well. And we argue over what's the appropriate treatment. And I mean, and let's be fair, there is a certain segment within the left of center that believes, well, you can't have God factor into this at all because, you know, First Amendment or a court opinion or this or that. But we on the right of center generally accept that you know, you can't necessarily fix yourself on your own. Now, left of center generally gets the idea it takes a community and it's going to take friends and family. And right of center understands this, but they somehow think that by locking people up in isolation, that's going to solve the problem. And I would just say, how that, how's that working out for you? I suspect... The evidence, the preponderance of evidence would say not so well. Okay, so let's stick that issue aside for a moment. Okay? Now, let's delve into a little bit more controversial subject. You got two guys that want to go home and play house. Now, most people write a center, or let's say most of the religious people would say, yeah, that's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. Some would say it's not legal because we have all this historical evidence to suggest that it's a bad thing. And honestly, most of the people on the left already know this. Left to center, actually probably, again, that same one third over, which is probably a majority, they probably find that issue to be something they're not overly comfortable with. But they know these people. They like these people. They don't want to hate on them, and anything less than total acceptance is hate. So that, there's our problem. Most of the people write a center go, "Yeah, you know what? If that's what you want to do, we don't want to hear about it. We don't care. Just keep it out of the schools, and uh, no, you can't get married." Now, and here's the problem: the conservatives gave up control of marriage, or the Christians, I should say. The, the people that actually believe marriage is a covenant, they gave up control of that and turned it over to government. And now, I'm surprised and disappointed and angry, that government twisted it and recreated what it is in their own image. My response is, what did you think was going to happen? Now, look, if we were decouple marriage from government, a lot of people on my side would be upset about that. But if we were to decouple marriage from government, it would be more biblically accurate. In my opinion, it would also allow for a lot more control to the community. But a lot of people are uncomfortable with that because they know full well that two dudes are going to say they're married. And if it stopped there. okay, fine, but we know it's not going to stop there. That slippery slope is all they're already halfway down the hill. Because when you redefine marriage between one man and one woman, you get two dudes, two chicks, two dudes, one chick, two chicks, one dude, five chicks, one dude, and vice versa. Or maybe a toaster. I'm kidding about the toaster. But I mean, there's all sorts of crazy things that then get thrown into the mix. Because why wouldn't they be? We've redefined it until the definition becomes meaningless. I mean, we're watching this play out in front of us right now with recession and then the meaning of definition getting redefined, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, it's been predicted at least since uh, 1948 in ink, but again, we went to government to ask government to solve it. If you were to sit down in the local community, sit down in your extended family, your tribe or whatever you could probably come up with a workable solution. You could be reasonable with one another. You have a vested interest in your community. You want it to be together and working together. I mean, even my local community here, I mean, we have a certain group of individuals that are very divisive. And they spend a lot of time pointing out other people that are divisive. Well, the people generally that are getting pointed out of being divisive are reacting to the first person that was being divisive. And then it becomes a wicked circle of who's more divisive or hateful than the other. And I would say, in my opinion, that if you have a title attached to your name, you're supposed to be the bigger person. You're supposed to set the example. You're supposed to not get mired in that. And look, my, my friends that are patriots, were guilty of this too. And when I say we, I mean me too. I mean, I'll admit at times it's kind of fun to, you want to be uh, slick, you want to be funny and you call people names and you poke at people. There is a time and a place for that. If you're a comedian, yeah, you should be all over it. If, if If you're on TV, yeah, fine, okay. If you do a podcast, yeah, you can get away with it on occasion, but you shouldn't be just showing off to general events and running around calling people names and dismissing them. See, And that's the thing. You have a community and the community is supposed to work together to solve problems or deal with issues. But if you step in and immediately dismiss them, well, they're not going to pay attention. They're not going to listen. They're not going to care. Now, I'll be fair in my analysis on that. There's probably, we'll just use a nice round number, 10% on both sides they don't want to solve the problem. They have no interest in talking to the people in the middle. They have no desire to, for the issue to go away because then they would have nothing to do. That may be true. I'll grant you that. But in the, in the longer version of this, right, and the more I give it thought, the more I come to the realization that really and truly the problem isn't your neighbor in most cases. Now, there are some neighbors that are troublesome. There are some neighbors that you wish weren't your neighbor. But by and large, people that are close to each other tend to get along. And there's always the jerk that nobody gets along with. But everybody knows the guy's a jerk or that lady's a jerk. And they just choose not to operate around them or integrate with them, right? They just don't do business with them. And that person either figures it out and becomes a little bit better person or just deals with the fact that, well I was a jerk and now nobody wants to talk to me society has a way of fixing these things they don't need government to come in and hammer them they don't need i'm gonna how do i want to phrase this because i know my libertarian friends are going to get a little bit out of shape with me but we don't need large corporations to come in and behave in such a way that they think they're government and actually take the place of government and yes yes i know they're private corporations that can do whatever they want but when they're getting government money and following government direction, they're really acting as an arm of government. So I reject that claim. So the issue is when we become dependent upon a platform in order to do certain things. And don't get me wrong. I'm on platforms, right? And platforms are helpful. They they get the word out. They educate. They <laughs> They entertain. So, I mean. There's something to be said for that, but we've got to know who the enemy is. And the enemy is often not the guy down the road from you. The enemy oftentimes is not anybody that is in your direct circle of influence, your direct circle of um, conversations. And I would even go so far to say is a good number of times your enemy, you don't even know who they are. Now, without going into the religious aspects of this, let's just say that not everybody acts on their own accord at all times. Some people can be pushed, influenced. They react in a way that's beneath them or out of character. And we all look at it and go, what's going on there? You have to offer a little grace. I don't want to live my life In the city of McKinney, thinking that 30% of the people in McKinney hate me and want me dead, and they're my mortal enemies. I don't want to live that way. I don't think that way. Now, could that number be 3%? Possibly, maybe. But I don't give that one thought because the chances of me running across that 1% to 3% of those people that fall into that category are pretty slim. And 97% are better. That's really good. I can deal with that. You can too. You shouldn't lose sleep over a small percentage of people, but yet when you muster the numbers and you show up at 20% of a crowd or 30% of crowd, you should be heard. You need to be recognized, but be honest with yourself. You're not necessarily majority. You could be a plurality. You could be part of a concurrent majority. You could be part of a functional organization, make things better. But you shouldn't just get to run the show because somebody has a title or somebody has a temporary majority present. No, we're supposed to work together. Again, in almost every case, government doesn't make things better. Government only makes things worse. And when you go crying to government, asking them to fix your problems, they're going to say, oh, we'll just step in and solve that and they'll create you five more problems. Don't do it. Don't fall into that trap. They depend upon us fighting against each other. They depend upon us seeing each other as the enemy, either metaphorically or or in reality. I don't wish to live that way. I don't want to look across the street and see my neighbor and think, oh, they secretly hate me. I don't really hate anybody. I mean, there's a few people that I probably wouldn't lose sleep over if they were to get run over by a truck. There's a few people that I have no doubt have met their master, and uh, I really have a hard time feeling bad for that situation. There's a few. I mean, if we're looking at 300 plus million in this country alone, and 8 billion on the whole planet, and I can only think of maybe 8 or 9 people that I didn't lose sleep over their... consequences for their behavior. I'd say I get along with a whole lot of people and I do my best to be friendly to everybody. I'd say that's the case. Can I push back? Oh, you're darn right. Can I fight when the time is right? Absolutely. Do I stand against the crowd? Oh, quite often. That's why I love that uh, Captain America um, little picture that I put up all the time in my uh, um, social media. You have to stand on principle, but you have to understand that somebody else might have a different principle. Somebody else may not agree with you, but if you can sit down and you can talk like adults, you probably come up with a solution or a compromise that everybody can live with. The problem, and this is where I'm going with this. The problem is our team is always compromising. Our team is always giving up and the other team is always asking for more and more and more and more and more. And our team goes, why sure, why sure, why sure, why sure. And at a certain point, our team says, that's enough. You'll go no further. And then we're the bad guys. We're the people that are the heels. And we're the ones that put our foot down after giving up 27 different things. And we say, well, no, we're not willing to give this up. And we're evil. We're haters. We're this. We're that. No, I reject that. I do. And anybody that's rational and fair can look at it and say, well, you know, they they did agree to all these other things. And, you know, maybe... Maybe we ought to give them a little slack. Maybe we ought to agree that this doesn't need to be changed. Now I'll tell you, conservatives have conserved next to nothing. They're a slow-moving surrender. <laughs> they're 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 kind of the French in political uh world, right? I mean, we've gone down this path before, and they always want to make nice. In fact, they make peace with their enemies so fast that I'm not sure they were ever their enemy. There are legitimate enemies. There are people that actually want to ruin things. In fact, I've come to the conclusion, I might have said this a time or two, that I actually have come to the conclusion that there are a large number of people, and when I say large number, I just mean more than a couple dozen, that are in power or in control of our country that really don't want good things for us. They really don't want good things for Texas or Cowan County or McKinney or you as an individual. They got theirs and they want to make darn sure you can't get any. And oh, by the way, we're going to make you all peasants. Permanent peasants in a peasantry. <laughs> Say that three times fast. I, I'm shocked that people really think that socialism is going to fix this. That some progressive program's going to fix this the people that are presenting these things know darn good and well they're never going to work there's historical evidence of it there's all sorts of countries that are littered in disarray that have tried these various programs they fail all the time now look is a free market perfect no of course not is the free market going to solve everything? Well, probably not. But being that we don't actually have a free market, you know, one of the constant refrains from the socialists is, well, Cuba wasn't real socialism. You'll never know until we try a real socialism. Well, my response is, well, America's not a real free market. We'll never know until we get a real free market. What America is and has been for quite some time is a fascist oligarchy run by... The same said oligarchy. Oh, we get to elect some people. And if we're lucky, we get to change out some really bad apples every once in a while. But once they get to D.C., they're all on the same team. I mean, you might have a few odd ducks that do the right thing and get chewed up and eventually just say enough's enough. Then you have a couple of really, really good people that fight the fight until their last bitter end. And then they say, I'm going to go do something else. But I can only think of maybe five in my 50 years of existence that actually meet that standard. That's sad. But that's where we're at. We can't do anything about it. We have to accept that's the world we live in. But, 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 if you can set aside minor differences, if you can set aside things that aren't critical and work together, at the local level, you can overcome so much of this. Now, I know of several organizations, groups, and things that talk about this very issue and that I think we could all benefit from. So my pledge to you is in the next quarter... I'm going to reach out to some of these groups, some of these organizations, and see if I can get some of them to come to McKinney and talk brass tacks. This is what you need to do in order to improve the situation to build your community. Now, maybe I'll get lucky and they'll come on my podcast and let me interview them. Or maybe I'll get even more lucky and they'll come and do a show or a program or a seminar. Don't know. But I'm going to make a concerted effort in the next three months to make that happen. And I have no idea what the response is going to be. But I do know if we continue to do what we've been doing, we're going to lose. We have to up our game. We have to do the right thing. And we have to realize that just because somebody doesn't necessarily agree with us does not make them an enemy. Maybe it makes an opponent. Maybe it makes something less than an enemy. But we have to work with our friends, our family, our close neighbors to take back control of our communities. To not get manipulated, to not get pushed, to not get, quite frankly, jerked around to make bad decisions. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I would consider guerrilla political war tomorrow. Tomorrow. Episode 240. I ask you to come back and tune in if you thought this is educational, informative, entertaining, or just plain fun. Hey, like, subscribe, comment, share the podcast. Let's get it out there. We're going to have to figure out how we can make things work starting at the local level. I've said it again and again and again. You can't fix D.C. We can't fix D.C. We have very little influence what happened in Austin, but we can make a difference out our back door. And until we start doing that, we're going to keep losing. With that, this was According to Callis. This was episode 239. And I will see you on the other side.